You're listening to the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network. This is Drive Time with Travis Wingfield. Back to throw to a looking. Flips it downfield wide open. <laughs> Touchdown, Tyreek Hill. Unbelievable. Just flew by him for a second time. Doing to where he was going right away. How the hell is that, though, man? What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and on today's show, week two in the NFL kicks off tonight. Anybody else just like incredibly fired up about all things football because your team looks like one of the best teams in the NFL? We'll give you the picks for the week, and since it's Thursday, that means opponent's perspective. ESPN's Mike Reese joins us from Foxborough to break it all down, plus the weekly narrative focuses on running routes without getting the football. We call them for love of the game routes, and we conclude with some audio from assistants and coordinators on Thursday who met with the media. From the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex, this is the Drive Time Podcast. Let's go ahead and kick this thing off with the Patriots' perspective for Week 2 Sunday night in Foxborough, 8:20 kickoff, a nice crisp 55 degrees up there in the Boston Mass area. Welcome to my guest today, Mike Reese. Joining me now is ESPN NFL Nation reporter covering this week's opponent, the New England Patriots. He is Mike Reese. Mike, thank you for your time today, sir. Travis, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. Very happy to have you on. I, I saw, I can't remember who it was. Might have been Evan Lazar, might have been Taylor Kyles. I'm not sure. One of the local beat guys up there who was sharing some of the notes that you provide for training camp and kind of the hustle that you produce up there during the month of August. I fancy myself a a very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? I guess acclaimed training camp reporter or cover guy that takes a lot of pride in my notes. Um, is that something you've always done for a long time is getting Patriots training camp notes out there to the fans? I, I love that, Travis. You know, I, I think with reporting, like the best time to get to know any team is through training camp, right? Because you're watching the team come together. And I don't know about you guys, um, your crew down in South Florida, but when once the season starts, we're limited with how much practice we actually get to watch um, in New England. So you you don't feel like you're as dialed in as you are during training camp. So I do. I really do love that time of year. Yeah, the stretch and individual, then get the heck out of here. We got practice to run. So pretty, pretty common across the league, I believe. I know it is for us, but it's it's really cool to see that. And it's cool to see how fans really embrace this extended coverage we have now, really 12 months out of the year. But let's go ahead and pivot now to the, the game on Sunday night, Dolphins at Patriots. Um, the Patriots run, you know, as flexible of a defense as anybody going back over a couple of decades now. And I was looking at some of the numbers that they produce against Tua Tungavailoa. And it's it's kind of all over the place in terms of how often they blitz him, how often they play man versus zone. I'm curious why you think that plan might change and maybe what we could see on Sunday uh, for this matchup. It's it's great thoughts, Travis, because Tua is 4-0 against the Patriots, as you know. And so what they've done in the past hasn't produced necessarily the bottom line results that they are hoping for. So Bill Belichick talked about that a little bit earlier this week. 
in terms of if you want to devote more resources towards the rush, you better hope that you can bring down Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, and company because the, the fewer guys you have around them, you're really susceptible to giving up the big play. So I think from a uh, just sort of a big picture standpoint, that's sort of the main question they're probably going to be asking themselves is, you know, how much do we want to to bring pressure knowing that Tua can get the ball out so quickly? He's very accurate. Um, and the Patriots generally are a defense that the first thing they say is don't give up the big play. It's and we saw that down here for a couple of years too. And it makes me really fascinated to see how this game script might change on Sunday since it's always fall, followed the same script for the last few years, Mike, where it's limited possessions, kind of keep the roof on top of the defense and not a lot of explosive plays. And, you know, both teams get seven or eight cracks at it. And by the end of it, it's like a 20 to 16 final. So I'm really curious to see how that might change. And on the Patriots side, they have a pretty big change as well, bringing back Bill O'Brien into the offense and uh, being the OC there. How has Mac Jones and really the entire offense taken to that new system? I know it's only one weekend, but going back to camp and preseason, how have you seen them take to Bill O'Brien's system? It's been a notable difference, Travis, and I think it's uh, the the best way to sum it up is it's basically going back to the way it was before under Josh McDaniels, um, and it, but with you its own unique, you know, twists to it. And I know Coach McDaniel mentioned this down there this week that he can tell the connection already, you know, that Mac and and Bill O'Brien have. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of optimism up here in New England after Mac regressed in his second year um, that they're getting him back on track. There were some real positive signs in Sunday's season opening loss to the Eagles. In the second quarter, Mac put together a stretch that was as good as anything that we've seen uh, from him, you know, in his three years with the team. The challenge for him now is going to be, you know, can he do that consistently and avoid the killer turnover? Um, You know, he had a pick six in the first um, quarter that got away from him, a high throw. And and can he come through in the clutch? I always hope that folks learn from history with regards to the quarterback position, because oftentimes surrounding, you know, circumstances can be, you know, prohibit you from reaching your ultimate ceiling. And we saw Mac Jones really thrive that rookie season. And I think that where he excels is kind of akin to where Tua excels in ways that maybe are not as obvious to, you know, just a, a fan that pulls up the games on Sundays and doesn't spend much time otherwise, you know, studying the game. I think that those are the areas that Matt can really excel in and potentially take his career to the next step as well uh, here in this new system. And of course, part of the surrounding cast for any player is the offensive line for a quarterback, I should say. And this Patriots line pretty banged up right now. What do you think we might see on Sunday? And with whoever the lineup is, what can we expect to get from some of these guys that I don't know much about, Mike? Yeah. So this has been their their Achilles heel since literally day one of training camp. Um, they've had a run of injuries, illness, and I would say inconsistency um, that has really um, it led me at one point to write an article asking the question, you know, will the offensive line ultimately be the thing that holds the team back? And part of it is out of your control, right? Like you can't script up injuries. You can build as much depth as, you know, possible. And sometimes you just get a run of injuries where it seems like you can't catch a break. Um, So I will tell you, Travis, the one stat, like when they set their initial 53 man roster, they kept 11 offensive linemen. 
I mean, that's a huge number. The league average is nine. Um, you know, they're down at 10 now after putting one of them on injured reserve. But um, so what What will we see? Um, it's a line that that hasn't played in a game together before. I can guarantee you that. I'm probably not going to see the starting left tackle, Trent Brown. He's got a concussion. Um, the big question is, will the starting guards, Cole Strange at left guard, Michael Wenu at right guard, uh, will they? be ready to go um they didn't play in the season opener if they play i think that will help stabilize a very unstable situation at the moment for the patriots yeah it's really interesting i saw they were limited all week last week in practice and did not go and they were limited as we tape this podcast on a thursday ahead of the injury report uh they were also limited in wednesday's practice so very interesting there and it's funny you mentioned that because i've i felt like for as long as i can remember the patriots offensive line was always maybe not the strong suit of the team because the defense has been so good for so long, but certainly something they could bank on as a, you know, a stabilizing force on that offense, regardless of who's a quarterback or outside for the weapons. And going back to that defensive side of the ball, two more questions for you here. Mike Reese from ESPN, my guest today on the draft time podcast. And <clears throat> this Patriots defense fascinates me for so many reasons, but I'll start up front right here because I just feel like they have so many pieces that maybe don't get the individual shine, but ultimately makes up a, a cumulative, really good group up front. I'm talking about guys like Lawrence guy and Dietrich wise that, you know, they, they just don't get national recognition, but they're dang good players. Obviously Christian Barmore, Matt Judon, a lot of guys coming back and returning to this front seven. How important do you think that continuity is up front for this bill Belichick defense? Yeah, I think the continuity definitely helps. I'd, I'd add Devon Godchow, the former yeah. Dolphin, in there that that you know fans listening to this will obviously remember him. Um, but then I go back to something Bill Belichick says, like, you know, look, Travis, we could bring you and me back and put us on the defensive line, and <laughs> and that probably wouldn't look too good, you know. Right. So I think continuity gets you in a you know in a good place, but you have to be good players, right? And they've done a nice job, um, you know, combining continuity meaning like this defense retained every single player from last season other than their longtime safety and captain Devin McCourty. And that's relative to the league. That's a league leading stat by far. You know, no team brought as the, that that many players back on defense. So with between that and the talent that they have and the versatility that they have, they can do a lot of different things, play a lot of different you know, give a lot of different looks. They have guys who can play different techniques at a high level and it allows them to do some things like they did in the season opener against the Eagles that had Jalen Hurts and, and some of their players really, I would say, tipping their cap, you know, to the plan and execution that the Patriots had in week one. Yeah, you walked me right into my next question here because to, to kind of follow up on that, and I'm not sure how much it tracks because to your point, the Patriots are as amenable as any team out there defensively to be able to, you know, run one game plan one week and then switch it up entirely for a second week in the Dolphins offense, you know, Jalen Hurts and Tua Tagovailoa could not be more different players in terms of how they attack opposing defenses. And so I'm not, I'm not sure if the plan carries over at all, but how did they stop that Eagles offense that last year seemed like for, you know, 20 straight weeks could not be stopped. So they, you know, they, they gave them a lot of different disguise and they held their disguise, you know, until really very patient with it, um, not given a lot of pre-snap uh, indicators to him. Um, so that's sort of the, you know, it's so detailed. That's sort of the simple answer, yeah. um, you know, that I would say. And, and they were competitive in coverage. You know, they have a first round pick, Christian Gonzalez uh, out of Oregon 
who played every snap and, you know, seven tackles, a sack, a pass deflection, a, a big pass deflection late in the game to give him the ball back and give him a chance to win. And I look at that as sort of a key, a key this week. Christian's um, a taller, longer, um, fast corner. And I would say he probably hasn't seen the speed, you know, that he's going to see from the Dolphins receivers. So what does that matchup look like? And Travis, I will tell you this. I, I did peek a little bit at the Chargers-Dolphins game just to get familiar with, you know, the Dolphins. I, I have to believe the Patriots are going to have a, a more, a, a, I'll say more competitive, but a more um, innovative plan, mm-hmm. you know, to try to slow down what Miami's doing. I was a I thought I thought there were some things that in that game that looked like it almost made it too easy for me, you know, for for the Dolphins. Yeah, Tyreek had a lot of one-on-one coverage and he made them pay for that pretty much every time they ran with it. And that makes it takes me to my final kind of question or, or a cluster of questions here, Mike, is is obviously going back into the defensive secondary. Um, I do want to follow up about that point here in a second, but we'll we'll circle back because my question was, how is that defensive backfield, which they they fascinate me every year, Mike, with how often they can run, you know, dime packages, even against, you know, 12 personnel where it's necessarily not matching up against what you're seeing, but they find a way to be competitive against the run from these six defensive back packages. But now in the post Devin McCourty world, how is it looking for, you know, Kyle Duggar is such a good player, but Jabril Peppers had a good uh, season opening game. Adrian Phillips, how is that entire group kind of operating in the post Devin McCourty world? Yeah, so they they actually meet as a group. So they don't do like corners and safeties. Okay. I don't I don't know if if the Dolphins do it similarly like or if they split up the corners and safeties, but the way the Patriots do it it's sort of interesting. They lump them all together and so they meet as defensive backs. So um start with the safeties. You know, last week it was really Duggar, uh, Kyle Duggar and Jabril Peppers as the main guys and Adrian Phillips in a little bit more of a minor role. They also have a a rookie, Marte Mapu, who mixes between linebacker and safety. He's sort of one of those hybrid types. Mm -hmm. Um, And and so between those four and Jalen Mills, a fifth, you know, mixing in there, they have different skill sets. I would say I'd be surprised if they do the same thing this week um, with Jabril and Kyle as the main guys. I think we might see more of Adrian um, than we did last week. I think Adrian Phillips only played 17 snaps only because a lot more like those motion, like you watch Miami's offense, Travis. I mean, you see it closer than me. Like it's fun to watch like a lot of motions and at the last minute and it's so fast. And, and I think Adrian is, is sort of like a prime communicator, right? Like who's a glue guy. And I can see them wanting to put him on the field a little bit more um, just when you're trying to slow down you know, such an innovative and exciting offense that that it looks like it's one thing. And then I'd say like one second before the ball snapped, you got a guy like jetting out in motion. And, and next thing you know, like it's like, OK, did you how do you react to that? Right. Like and so I think that'll be sort of a fun chess match to watch on Sunday night. Mike, we've waited a long, long time for people to talk about our offense that way. It was a lot of years of, you know, 17, 13 victories. Now we have an offense that we feel can compete with most teams across the National Football League. And obviously you don't have the answer to this question, but I just want to get your opinion on it because, and I'm trying to figure it out myself, not that it matters, but just for the the fan slash like amateur coach in me, how would you defend this Dolphins offense when it comes to Hill and Waddle? Because we've seen 
in the past. Like Jonathan Jones is one of the few guys that's had success against Tyreek Hill. But we've also seen when he was with Kansas City, bracket coverage. Do not let Tyreek Hill catch a single pass on you. And there he had Travis Kelsey to help take the load off of him. But what would then be the plan for Waddle if they went that direction? How do you see, in your opinion, the Patriots planning to deal with these two receivers? I think it's great. I've been thinking about it a lot. And <laughs> and I, I think, you know, the, the first thing is, I just think two is so accurate, you know, in my view, right? And and I think he makes good decisions. I think I, think I would bracket Tyreek. And I'd take my chances, you know, with Jalen and, and, and maybe, um, you know, see, see where that gets me, because I think what I, what I try to do is take it, take away Tyreek and see how Tua reacts to that. You know, when the, the first read maybe isn't there, um, it's so much easier said than done, right? Like if it was that easy, more people would do it. Um, and I think they tried to do that. And I think Jalen got him, you know, quite a bit last year in that first matchup, if I remember off the top of my head, or maybe it was two years ago, Travis. But um, so I think that that's probably where I would start. And it reminds me of one year when uh, Tony Gonzalez, the the great Chiefs tight end, it was like Bill Belichick was so like determined to not let him beat him. Like he put like Rodney Harrison on top of him and then another player right next to Rodney and almost treated Tony like, like a, like he was a gunner on the punt team and they viced him at the line of scrimmage, you know, like, like, it's like literally like, okay, like where we, he is that explosive. He is that important to what they do. Let's try that. And I, I think you can't do it every play, but like, that's sort of my thought process going in. Yeah, I've seen the. I've been watching some old clips from the Kansas City games, and they would do that to Tyreek as well. And it's like, yeah, this is going to make us a man light, but we have to do this, otherwise, this guy can go off for two hundred yards in a game like he did in Week One. Mike, appreciate your time today, man. ESPN NFL Nation Patriots coverage. He's on Twitter at Mike Reese. If you're going to follow one person on the Patriots beat, I know it's hard for you all to do that for as Dolphins fans, but this is your guy, Mike. Thank you for your time today. We really appreciate it, sir. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Travis. And there he goes, the great Mike Reese. Let's go ahead and take our first break right there and come back on the other side and hear from the Dolphins' assistant coaches and coordinators. That's next, Drive Time Podcast. Your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey, guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com toyota let's go places let's go ahead and do some patriots preview content here we got to hear from the coordinators and assistant coaches today 
Let's first go to Dolphins quarterbacks coach Daryl Bevel, who touched on the challenges the Patriots defense present to an offense. Well, I think, uh, Ronnie, you know that like how well they're coached over there, you know, and th those guys are just they're they're coached so well. Um, they play their techniques very well. They're um, they're multiple in the defense with. Um, with with players in terms of you know one time this guy could be a safety one time this guy's a linebacker and so being able to ID all of it being able to um, you know to to kind of undress it as as best as you can to make to make good decisions I think is what make it challenging um, they do a great job of playing their techniques and um, it's they're, they're just a very well coached team obviously when you put the players abilities on top of being well coached um, it makes for a tough defense. And of course, the second straight week, the Dolphins will face a team who is employing a new employing a new offensive system this season. So I asked Coach Fangio, what's the benefit of going into a game where there's one game tape on that offense versus what you face in week one against Kellen Moore and the Los Angeles Chargers with no game tapes? Pretty obvious answer here, but I think Coach gave us some good stuff to chew on. Here's Vic Fangio. One's better than none, and uh, particularly in this case, because Bill O'Brien was been in college ball the last two years, and prior to that, he was the head coach of the Texans. And they, you know, they have a different style quarterback with Watson his years there. And New England's always had an offense that kind of their offense, no matter who's the offensive coordinator. And, you know, they had Josh McDaniels a long time, obviously, but and now Bill, you know, off of last week, it's been it was a little different than what New England's been traditionally known for offensively. So one game tells you something, but it doesn't tell the whole story, obviously. The Patriots averaged under four air yards per attempt in their game on Sunday, and I saw some boasting about how the Patriots had more yak yards because Tua averaged over 10 air yards per throw. So obviously, when the ball on average is going seven yards shorter, you're going to have to make up more yards after the catch, but I digress. So Fangio was asked about the Patriots' game plan for a team that we have kind of come to know even during the Brady era at times but especially after it that wants to be a power running football team to put the ball in the air 54 times well obviously being down 16 zip can create some of that need for the passing game but also there was like 20 screen passes in the game behind the line of scrimmage I think you're gonna get a lot more of that in this game because it looks like the Patriots could be down several offensive linemen like three starters potentially a backup to one of those starters as well Trent Brown a concussion protocol Patriots actually did not play a single player who was in concussion protocol during the week last season. So that's kind of a tell what might happen here. But here's Coach Fangio on the Patriots game plan and why that passing number is misleading. Yeah, the 54 passes, you're talking about New England, right? Yeah, they had in the mid-20s of those were a two-minute situation. So the 54 number is very skewed. Um, we'll see. It's just one game sample. What's different is they don't have a fullback on their roster, and they used to carry a fullback a lot of times, and you'd get some two-back stuff, and right now most of their stuff is one-back. So there you go. That's the coaches. We're going to go ahead and take our last break right here and come back on the other side and do the NFL picks and the Thursday narrative, all that next. Drive Time Podcast, your host, Travis Wingfield, brought to you by AutoNation. Hey guys, it's Ray from the Bobby Bone Show here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Let's go! Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain from the road to the hills to the trails all over. 
And with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating, up to eight passengers, yeah. And with available features like the panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer. Check out amazing national sales event deals on RAV4s, Highlanders, and more. Visit buyatoyota.com. That's buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Segment number three for week number two on a Thursday edition here of the Drive Time Podcast. And we do the picks every single week for the last three years now, or I guess two plus seasons, as we are in the third year of doing this. And I got to be honest with you guys off the top, feeling pretty good right now about my Dolphins over Cowboys Super Bowl pick. We'll see how that shakes out over the next 20 or so weeks here. But let's go ahead and start with week number two. Actually, first, go back to week number one, where I went 11-5, and which is my best week one mark since I've been doing the picks here on the show. Nailed a couple of good ones. I thought Buffalo would find a way to beat the Jets even in with Aaron Rodgers in the game. Once he went out, I was certain that was a victory. But you know what? That was a perfect result for the Dolphins in that instance. Buffalo getting a divisional loss early on in the season is a potentially could play a big role down the stretch in the race for the AFC East crown. That week 18 game could be a huge one against Buffalo, but I am getting all over the map and way ahead of myself. Let's go ahead and pick these week two games beginning tonight with the Eagles and Vikings. Give me the defending NFC champs over a team that I think is going to be more paper tiger this year in the Vikings who won 13 games last year and had a record-setting 11 victories in one-score games, while the regression to the mean already reverts back in Week 1 of 2023 as the Vikings drop a heartbreaker at home at home to the Baker Mayfield-led Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Give me the Eagles big over the Vikings on TNF. I like Jordan Love to keep it rolling. I think the Falcons' offense is incredibly strange. I love their defense. I said as much during the joint practices down here in Miami Gardens against that club, but... Drake London, one target. Kyle Pitts getting open, not seeing any footballs. We've drafted all these talented players, and we don't want to seem to use them. And Tyler Algier outsnapped B. John Robinson. What gives? I think Jordan Love's a really good player. I think he's going to be a top 10 quarterback come the end of the season, which would mean that there's going to be, what, Burrow, Tua, Hurts, Herbert. Am I forgetting someone? Four quarterbacks from that 2020 class, I believe, will be in the top 10 by the end of the season. Give me Buffalo over Las Vegas. I don't want it to happen, but the home opener for the Bills, I think they're going to take care of Josh McDaniel's squad up there in western New York. Give me the Ravens over the Bengals. Even though the Ravens are awfully banged up right now, no Marcus Williams, no J.K. Dobbins. Ronnie Stanley has once again taken an injury. The Bengals looked dreadful in week number one. I think it's going to be a bit of a slow climb for them like it was last year. Missing Burrow for the first or through all of training camp a season ago due to an appendectomy this year due to a calf strain. I think it's going to take some time for them to get clicking and the Ravens just seem to have their number even without Lamar Jackson last year in that playoff game. They are a fumble on the goal line away from potentially taking a fourth quarter lead in that game. Give me Baltimore over the Bengals. This is not going to be a popular pick, but give me Seattle on the road over Detroit. Last year, one of the games of the year, both teams got into the 40s. Geno Smith kind of had his coming out party in that game. Detroit riding high off a big victory in week one, but I think it's going to be a bit of a, a comeback down for them as the Seahawks look to avenge a terrible loss of the Rams. I picked Seattle to win the NFC West. 
And if they lose this one badly and look like they did against the Rams again, I might pull the ripcord on that pick altogether. Maybe it was a bad decision, but we're taking the Seahawks and staying by our preseason pick over the Lions. Give me the Chargers over the Titans, although I would prefer the Titans win that game. I think that as much as I've given Ryan Tannehill plenty of flowers and love on my podcast over the years, I think that maybe the end is nigh as he looked really bad in that week one game. And I could see them turning to Malik Willis or Will Levis at some point this season. Give me the Chargers in that one. Give me the Bears over the Bucks, even though it's on the road. Man, Luke Getze's offense was a tire fire in that week one game at the Packers. But give me the Bears to find a way to get their first victory of the season here. Chiefs over Jaguars. I know that the Chiefs will get Chris Jones back. It sounds like they're going to get Travis Kelsey back. I think they cleared Jacksonville pretty easily in that one, even though it's in down here in Florida. Houston over Indy. Is Richardson healthy? I'm not even sure about that, but I still like Houston to get their first victory. I think that Indy played their hearts out against Jacksonville, and that was a tough loss for them. But I'll take the... Uninspiring Texans, even though I don't love them in, in any game, but I'll take them over the Colts this week. Give me the Niners over the Rams. I think I might have undersold the Niners. I've done that for a few years in a row now. Uh, give me them to clear the Niners pretty easily, or the Rams pretty easily, I should say. I'll take the Giants over the Cardinals. I am going to be against the Giants a lot this year, but playing the Cardinals, that's uh, pretty no-brainer for me. Give me the Cowboys to romp the Jets and Zach Wilson. You can support the kid all you want in terms of coming out on social media and talking about how much you support him, but it doesn't mean he's going to be any better at football. Give me the Cowboys big there. Give me the Broncos over Washington. I think Denver bounces back at home. They just typically don't lose games in that building in September. It's tough for teams to get acclimated to that, uh, to the heat and the altitude this early in the year when Denver's been training in it all summer. Give me the Broncos, even though I kind of like the Commanders, but Sam Howell didn't play well, and I'm really conflicted there because I like their team, but their quarterback not so much. Give me the Dolphins big over the Patriots on Sunday Night Football. You already know why. Give me the Saints over the Panthers. I'm just not buying the Bryce Young experience in year number one. Not enough weapons, not a good offensive line. He's going to take some lumps this year. Give me the Saints to get to 2-0. And Pittsburgh over Cleveland. I, I think Cleveland won that game because Cincinnati was terrible in week one, and the Steelers, I think, can bounce back after a really tough week one matchup against the Niners. Don't think either team's going to be a playoff squad, but give me the Steelers over the Browns on Monday Night Football. Those are the week two picks, 11 and 5. We'll revisit those next Thursday ahead of TNF in week number three. Let's go ahead and do our weekly narrative here, and I'm really excited about this part of the podcast because I think I'm going to talk some, some personal stuff here. I think I found a way to make myself a better podcaster, a better reporter, someone better at covering this team by kind of having more foresight about what I want to do. It's something my boss and I have discussed several times with regards just to how to make drive time better for you all. So I've been kind of lying in the weeds, as it were, thinking about different aspects of football of this team that interest me. And then, of course, with the resources and access I have to ask people questions about this stuff, it obviously makes for a fun fleshed out theory that I can kind of put together, go through, get my interviews, and then kind of decide what I want to do with it at the end of it. So I mentioned this on the Tuesday breakdown, the all 22 podcast that my hypothesis was that nobody runs harder without the football in their hands than Jalen Waddle, right? Like a great score in basketball. The guys who move the best without the football are typically the best receivers as well. And so I went to the advanced stats and GPS rankings, and I have access to more of this stuff these uh, this year, which is awesome for me, obviously, and for you guys, the listener, too. And I talked to some of the guys as well, including the Penguin himself, on what we call for love of the game routes. Routes where you're late in the progression, and to extend this notion, with this quarterback who's the best at seeing it and getting the ball out fast in the entire world, 
The ball's out so fast that the fourth and fifth option among the eligibles within a progression, they know the majority of the time the ball is not going to come to them because it's going to be out earlier. But that's not the mindset they have. In fact, Jalen Waddle told me as much when I talked to him in the locker room on Wednesday. So I had a comment on Twitter last night after watching your game that I think that you're one of the best receivers in the league without the football in your hands. I know Wes likes to call him for love of the game routes. Yeah. What would you describe as a love of the game route? Um, just a route, you know, you're not really the primary, um, but you know, you can be a decoy to, you know, get uh, either a safety or um, or anybody in the back end out to open up something uh, for someone else. Uh, that's kind of what we call it. Is that something you guys take a lot of pride in? Oh, yeah, definitely. It's, it goes hand-in-hand with blocking and, and all that other stuff that, you know, you don't get much, you know, praise and shine for, but it's, it's a part of the game. Man, no problem. Good stuff there from the Penguin, a.k.a. Little Skeet, as we call him around the locker room uh, down there with the guys. Um, yeah, really good stuff there from one of my favorite players in the entire National Football League. And how about this? I went out and found some metrics that measure how many yards a player travels on pass plays without getting a target at over 16 miles per hour. Are you with me? Batting average in the month of September when the moon is in Sagittarius and there's a Republican president in office. No, but that's pretty much the stat here. That's the threshold that has been determined, 16 miles per hour to be sprint speed for wide receivers. Can you guess, can you take a wild guess who the top two through week one in the National Football League might be? If you guess Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, you would be right, but I'm going to tell you why it's not just their speed that puts them in that position here in just one second. So first, Tyreek Hill. <clears throat> These are crazy stats, man. 395 yards above 16 miles per hour that he traveled on 35 snaps. That's 11.2 yards per snap that he travels faster than 16 miles per hour. Jalen Waddle covered 324 yards at over 16 MPH on 32 snaps, which is 10.1 per snap. That's only the only two receivers in the NFL who were over double digits in this category. I used two other players here. To kick this off for comparison, Justin Jefferson, this is where it gets crazy. Now, Je- Jefferson was a 4-4-40 guy, so he doesn't have the blazing speed, but it tells you about, and this is not to disparage Jefferson. He's, I think he's right there with Tyreek as the best receiver in the National Football League, but this tells you the difference here. 242 yards above 16 miles per hour on 44 snaps is 5.5 yards per snap, literally less than half of what Tyreek did and, and just a little bit uh, more than half of what Jalen Waddle did. And then I wanted to find the other blazing fast receivers in the NFL to come out recently under 4-4 guys. And the first one I thought of was 2-2 Atwell, who ran a 4-3-9 a couple years ago. And by the way, was a big 2-2 Atwell fan? Look at him week number one in his third season having a big day. 328 yards traveled on 34 snaps at over 16 miles per hour was 9.6 yards per snap that he was over 16 MPH. That was third best in the NFL. So then I went back and looked at two recent Ohio State grads that were under 4-4, Chris Olave, 4-3-9, Garrett Wilson, 4-3-8. For Olave, 298 yards on 33 snaps. That's 9.03. And Garrett Wilson was 199 yards on 27 snaps. That's 7.37. Maybe a little bit to do with the fact that he lost his quarterback and was mad. I think we saw him celebrating a... Touchdown run that was not by Brees Hall, opposed to blocking down the field, which would kind of give you 
an indication of maybe where his head was at after that injury. So those are the guys with the absurd times, right? So what about little old River Craycraft from Washington State University here for the Miami Dolphins? And I think this is where the point is driven home. He was a 4-5 flat guy at his pro day. Not even a combine invite. Pro day up in the Palouse, 4-5. And you can see the correlation there with the guys 40 times and yards traveled, right? Well, on 16 snaps, River covered 147 yards. That's good for 9.1. Better than Olave. Better than Garrett Wilson. It's just how it's coached down here. It's an emphasis for Coach Wes Wilker. Let's hear from River Craycraft, who I caught up with for about five minutes. We talked about that. And, of course, Washington State's big win over Wisconsin last Saturday night. First of all, Coos and Badgers, what would you think of that one? Did you get a chance to watch it? Of course. It was a fun game. Loved huh? every bit of it. Yeah, Coops came out hot, put up a lot of points, scared me at the end. But, I know. but uh, unlucky for Gink and uh, Alec, <laughs> Coops came out with a W for the second straight year. Was there any types of bets or anything on the game? Shirts or anything like that? <laughs> Last year, Alec and I had uh, whoever lost had to wear the team gear of the opposing team to practice. So it'll be head to toe in some Washington State <laughs> stuff one of these days. I can't I need, wait. I need to see that. That's, that's yeah. Kind of my, I got to tweet that out and get my, my following. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much known as the, the Dolphins reporter who went to Washington State. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They, they love that stuff. <laughs> I do, at least. I don't know if they do. I, I talk about it a lot, but anyway. Yeah. Um, so, I love it. Yeah, we, of course. We'll <laughs> baby. Yeah. Um, so one, I'm kind of running a theme this week on the podcast about, okay. you know, watching the tape, I was noticing, like, you guys do such a good job when maybe you're late in the progression or maybe not even part of the progression at all of busting your ass on those routes for love of the game routes, right? Yeah. Is that what you guys call them? Um, you can. I mean, yeah. I mean, you, you have to have the mindset every play that there's a chance you're going to get the ball, you know? So that's the way I like to look at it. But you're not wrong for love of the game routes. But, yeah. It's kind of what it is. What's the message to, to really set that home? Like, I know Wes is probably big on that. Um, you just never know when your opportunity is coming, you know. And for me, a great example was last year versus Baltimore. It was There was no way I should have had that touchdown. Um, and it was just, like you said, love of the game route. And, and Tua broke the pocket. And that's when that was my when my chance came to make a play, you know. And then I was able to score a touchdown off of it. So it's like. You have something good like that happen, it really lets you know why you have those routes and why you have those, you know, why you're always giving full effort because you never know what can happen. And sure enough, Chargers, the same exact thing, basically. It was like I was not supposed to get that ball, and I did. So um, good things happen when you run. River Craycraft touchdown maker, right? I mean, like, it's like, three, like 15 catches, like three touchdowns, like that. Like, why, why do you think you're catching so many percentage of passes in the end zone? Um, I don't know. Uh, just, you know in at the right time I guess and um, you know Tio and I have been working on our connection and um, I'm glad it's showing up in the right areas someone told me that you had a potentially a river dance no. plan but you maybe didn't <laughs> no. go through with it That's no no true? no I never had that plan <laughs> somebody asked me that after the game if they said when are we going to see the river dance and I just said and, uh, never <laughs> not by, I said that's already been done by an Ocho Cinco that's right so uh yeah. Yeah, also, I don't know how to do it. So. No, yeah, no Gasicki gritty. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, my dad taught me to hand the ball to the ref, so that's, that's probably good. what I'm going to do. Uh, back to the, the routes thing real quick. So how critical is that in terms of creating space for the passing concept that all you guys, like you don't loaf on a route. Like how critical is that to getting that space created? Greatly important. I mean, I, I think that's something that everybody tries to do uh, across the league, and, and it's super important, especially when you're in offense like this because it can affect players in different areas. And, and you run your routes full speed with, with intent and, and understand the concept you're running 
um, the defense shouldn't know, you know, who is the first read and who is not because there are plays where I am the first read and there's obviously plays where, you know, someone else is the first read and you have to sell it like you are the first read every time because that's how you get to grab people and open up other things. So, you know, as that being part of my role, that's um, only going to open things up for me when I am the first read. Coach mentioned this morning that you had been cut by seven teams before you actually made a roster. What did you take from that experience? Like, how do you apply what you learned in that process of trying to get into the league to now that you are, you know, kind of have a, a spot on this roster as one of the kind of key guys in the receiving room? Um, just, you know, just staying resilient, knowing what you're worth, and, um, you know, you have dreams, you have goals, and you don't let anybody say no beside yourself. So um, I've actually been cut 14 times. Uh, not from seven teams, but I have been cut 14 times, and that's uh, – that is frustrating, but, you know, you, 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 like I said, you, you know what you're worth and, and you're always going to keep your foot on the gas. And, you know, when I'm ready to stop, I'll stop. And that's the way I like to look at it. Best part of that was the very end of the interview and Savon Ahmed's locker is right by Rivers. When I walked out and the rest of the media swarmed Riv to talk to him and he dropped a, hey, go Cougs on him. And I saw Savon look up like, man, get that stuff out of here. But we love it. Before we get out of here, one more soundbite. I asked Frank Smith, Dolphins offensive coordinator, the same question of this theme. Love of the game routes, what's the importance of it, and how do you coach your guys to bust their butt every single play? When you understand the concept and what we're trying to do and how you fit into um, the timing of the play and uh, what the defense, you know, what look they gave you, I mean, I think it's just the understanding of all routes are live at all time. And when you have a quarterback like Tua who's, uh, you know, who distributes the ball so well, I mean, the minute that you think that you're not getting the ball, you will. So you have to run everything with intent, right? Because you might think that you're running a vertical, and next thing you know, they drop coverage because they're, we got guys moving different spots. So I think it's just our guys' commitment, and that's why the way we practice is the most important thing, is like trying to make sure it's deliberate and put ourselves in the game so that way when Sunday or Monday comes, we've already practiced it. All right, fun podcast there, man. Let's go ahead and get out of here tomorrow. Again, we're going to have the great Jeff Darlington on the podcast. Very special edition of the show is he's going to come on here and tell us about the behind-the-scenes day that he spent with Coach McDaniel for the Sunday countdown piece, plus Kyle Krabs' Finns Draft and Five and more locker room sound for you guys. That's tomorrow. In the meantime, you all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Go ahead and leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on social at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank Podcast with Seth and Juice every single week now that we are in season on Tuesdays. Check out the YouTube channel for media availabilities, Dolphins Today, and so much more. And last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. Caroline and Cameron, Daddy's coming home.